0: Good morning. I'm gonna start us off in prayer. Good mor—I got one. Good morning. Wait, everyone else was asleep except for the one kid in the third row. All right, now fourth row. So I'll say it again. This time I was expecting a response. See, I got—I went to prayer and everyone's like, "Shh, that's quiet time." So good morning. good morning. So if you're following us online, you hear the voices, but we're glad you're here with us at home, and hopefully you said good morning at home. Okay, if you're watching online, so. Let me me pray with us, uh, pray together as a church this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that we would be critical thinkers. We would look at what your word says and we would apply the word of God to our lives. You would help us to see that God does not force us to reconcile with others, but he asks for us to do it voluntarily because that shows his transforming power in our lives and so we ask that, that this sermon, whether it's just one statement or it's the whole thing, would influence and transform our lives, that your Holy Spirit would move in this room and in our homes this morning, so that you would be glorified and we would be more like Jesus as the result. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to welcome you here uh, maybe you're online maybe you're in person i'd like to welcome you to our service today we're going to be in the book of philemon and if you were with us last week we did the first 11 verses of philemon which i would encourage you if you weren't with us to go back and listen to that sermon and and watch the service because we're in a two-week series called reconciliation in christ which means today is actually the last day i mean that's a really quick series. So, there's some things that we need to answer in our life. How can we be reconciled to someone that disagrees with us? If you watch the news, you just yell louder, right? That's just what gets you what you want. But, or maybe maybe it's, it's interpersonal conflict. What if we need to be reconciled to someone that looks differently than us? So the question I really want to answer today, though, is what has Jesus done to change how you see others, how you view others? So if you have our app, you can click at the top of the link on our Sunlight app. It's available in the iTunes store and the Google Play store. And if you click on the top, that actually goes to uh, all the notes. It's all digital. If you notice when you walk in, you didn't get a bulletin, but that's what that is. If you're watching online, you can take another device and pull it up on that device. So today we're going to talk about total reconciliation. And I, I feel like all the things when I was a kid, when I said total, complete, is another word you could use. So have you ever felt out of place? Have you ever felt uncomfortable in your own skin? Anyone remember what it was like in junior high not to get picked for a sport? You know, you, you feel uncomfortable. Do you ever have people look down on you? Or, thought you were, or maybe you thought you were better than them? So when I was younger, I was in college, and what do you do in college? You take on odd jobs to make money because you got to pay for college, right? And so I had a friend that what he did was a window coverings business, like blinds and, and and drapes and stuff like that. But instead of just doing it in homes, which is what most people think of, we did it in high rises. So one day I went with him, not realizing that I was going to have to wake up at like 4 in the morning and work an 18-hour day, which no college student signs up for that anymore. You know, like if I knew that was happening, I would have slept in. But... We go, to, we go to the Bay Area and we go to this high-rise and we were doing about a floor and a half of the high-rise and we're putting in blinds. I'm like hanging like right next to that glass that you're like, I'm gonna fall down 50 stories. And you know, it was really kind of scary, but we're doing this job and we took a lunch break. We went down to Chipotle and this is years ago. I know it makes me sound old, but years ago, we went down and I still remember what happened when I walked out of that Chipotle in downtown San Francisco, I walked out and when I walked out, I could smell it. As soon as I walked out, it smelled so horrible. It was like body odor and alcohol and whatever else. And there was this guy that was kind of near the entrance, laying on the ground. I couldn't even tell it was a person at first. He was so dirty. I couldn't tell his ethnicity. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out who he was at all. He was laying on the sidewalk. And my friend that I was working for, without hesitation, goes up to him, hands him his burrito, and says do you want this? And he's like, oh yeah. And the next like two minutes, my friend went back in, he bought another burrito. He's like, it's a burrito. Like, is that really that big of a deal? He goes back in and as he goes back in, me and the other guys that were working, were just like staring at this guy devour a Chipotle burrito in about two minutes. It was like a speed eating contest. And I'm like, what just happened? Because I don't know how many people walked by that guy. It could have been over a thousand people that day walked by that guy. And but much like I did, is I smelled that and I was like, oh, you get that, oh man, what's that smell? You start judging people around you by how they look or the color of their skin or the way they smell or the clothes they wear or the car they drive. And you start realizing that God doesn't look at things that way. And that's why Paul's letter to Philemon is so radical. You want to be radical? Follow what it says in Paul's letter to Philemon. Like people will freak out on you because you'll be like, wait a second, Reconciliation says radical equality, no matter what. It doesn't matter what it is. God has given us all value. And so if you were with us last week in verse 10 and 11, we discussed last week that Paul mentions this runaway slave Onesimus. Okay, He's run away from his master, which there's a couple things that we need to note. He probably stole money. Because if he was sent to another town and then just left, he had to be doing some type of trade, and he had to have a way of of surviving, so he had to have some money with him. And now the thief has become a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's where we find ourselves. Now Paul is going to even ask more from Philemon because of the transformation of Onesimus. There's a change that's happened. Onesimus is first a child of God. Paul reminds Philemon of this transformational power. So turn with me to Philemon. Philemon's the shortest book, I believe, in the entire Bible. It's right before Hebrews. It's really short. It's 25 verses. We're going to read from verse 12 to verse 16 as we look at this, and then I'll read the later part in just a little bit. Paul says this, I'm sending him back to you, sending Onesimus, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf. During my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent. In order that your goodness might not be by compulsion. But of your own accord. But for, for this perhaps is why he would have parted from you for a while. That you might have him back forever. That's a good point. So no longer a bondservant. But much more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother. Especially to me. But much more to you. Both in the flesh and in the Lord. There's a moral dilemma here, and you walked in this morning, and if this is your first time here with us, you're like, whoa, pastor, why are you starting with this? I planned this series months before all this stuff happened, okay? Like, I'm just telling you, like, this was a plan way before anything that was happening in our world right now, but it fits perfectly, and so I know this is God-ordained that we're talking about this now. There's a moral dilemma we will all encounter at some point, and Paul's addressing that here. We need to be, be sure to know what ought to happen and what's under our control. There's certain things that we can control. Paul knows the right thing is to send back Onesimus to Philemon. He says, I would rather keep him. I'd rather keep him because he's helpful to me. But this shows Paul's respect for Philemon. He says, you're mature, you're responsible, I trust you that if I send him back, you're going to do the right thing. After all, verse 11 says that Onesimus, which means useful, is now useful. So he's, he's useful. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I rarely use this phrase, and I don't think I've ever used this phrase in conversation, but Paul says, I'm sending my very heart. I don't think he can be any stronger than that. I'm sending my very heart, my heart that beats within my chest, my heart, everything that I am, I'm sending. So we can learn from this that God's reconciling power is shown voluntarily, voluntarily. God doesn't coerce us into reconciliation. He guides us and directs us. In verse 14, it says, in order that your goodness not, may, might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. We're not to reconcile because we're being forced. Goodness is a choice. I, I used the example last week of children when you tell them to say sorry and they say it in a wrong attitude. Well, that's really what this is here. Paul's saying, it's not even about the attitude. It's about the, the fact that you do this. You should not do it with a bad attitude. You should do it with the right attitude because goodness is a choice. We make a choice every day to be good. I don't think anyone wakes up and actually thinks, though, I'm going to be bad today. And then they start singing, bad. To the bone. You know, like, that's not what we think. But we do make a choice to be good because we do the right thing. We hold doors open for people. We, okay, we're going to church. We're listening to the word of God. Whatever it is, Verse 12 and 13 show that Onesimus is clearly sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul wants to keep him. He's helping Paul to share, and he wants him to be there. But Paul knows there's a greater goal of the gospel. There's a greater goal of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is reconciliation with God. Reconciliation with God. That's what starts reconciliation. We have a broken relationship with God. We just do. We have a broken relationship with others. So reconciliation with others is the chief goal of our lives on earth. Reconciliation with others, reconciliation with God. And that's why Paul sent Onesimus back. It was the harder thing to do. Sometimes we don't want to do the hard thing. And instead, Paul's like, I'm going to do the hard thing because that's what's right. And sometimes we have to make that choice. It was inspired by how Paul had been reconciled to God. If you know the story of Paul, which his name was Saul, he was going around murdering Christians. And he was murdering Christians, and all of a sudden on the Damascus Road, Jesus appeared to him and said, why are you killing me? Why are you, mur- why are you hurting me? Let us not forget that his relationship was reconciled. His name was changed. He was commanded to love God and to love Jesus Christ. Paul voluntarily, after that, shared with others about Jesus. He shared with others about Jesus, so much so that they thought he was crazy. Look in Acts chapter 9. They thought he was crazy. And the only reason they would think he's crazy is because, hey, this guy was just killing us, and now he's telling us about Jesus. Do you understand? That's that's what redemption is. That's what transformation is. That's what reconciliation with God looks like. And so much so that at the end of 9, his friends and companions try to kill him. So some of you, you've kind of like stepped in with Jesus, but you're not too far. You're not willing to take the next step because you know you're going to lose friendships and you're going to lose maybe relationships with certain people. But the reality is, it's so much more important to be with Jesus. Paul even shows us this by giving up his preferences. When he says, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent. But I preferred to do nothing. What, why would Paul say that? Why would Paul say that? He continues by saying perhaps in verse 15. Perhaps. He's very soft. He's like perhaps. I preferred. He knows it might be too soon for Philemon to be reconciled to Onesimus. Maybe it's too soon. You ever notice something's too soon? If something's too soon, someone says like, you need to really talk to that person. And inside of you, there's a few feelings. There's this hurt. There's anger. There's frustration. It's too soon. I can't do this yet. And Paul's being very careful about this. He's being very careful. And so he's still putting faith, though, in God. And I think that's what we need to realize as, as followers of Jesus Christ. If you're going to follow Jesus, we need to put faith in God that he will reconcile relationships. It also shows some tact. Paul's, Paul's not, not known for his tact in other books, but he's very tactful here. He's saying exactly what needs to be said. He's not forcing this issue, but he's delicately addressing it even though he's incredibly passionate about it. And I'll tell you, there's a pendulum. Anytime you're incredibly passionate about an issue, usually it goes over here. Like, you can't stop talking about it. You talk over people, you're loud, you're yelling, you're whatever. But Paul here is like, hey, perhaps you do this because you know what it's right. Perhaps, you know, maybe you could do that. Right now, we need more of that, though. Don't we? I I read this week that we're just fatigued from different things going on in the world. I mean, we've had, I don't know, 12 weeks of craziness. It's just there's one thing after another. There's something new every week. And so we're fatigued. So right now we need more of that, that tact. Beating people over the head with theology or what you know about God and things we know about God when they're not ready for it never works. And I rarely say never. In fact, I tell people not to say never because there's always that one chance, but it never works. If you just beat people over the head with what you know about God, that's why we need to show grace like God first showed us. And so that's really why we need to understand that God's grace has the power to change any situation. God's grace changed Paul. God's grace changed Onesimus. God's grace, if, you, if I went around the room and I said, hey, How many of you have followed Christ for years? How many of you remember what happened that caused you to put your faith in Christ? Grace changed you. So Onesimus was under this burden of being a slave and added thief to that when he left his master. But he's not the most famous of Bible characters that was ever sold into slavery. He was just the one that was changed. And Joseph was changed as well. The story of Joseph is where he was sold by his brothers into slavery, and years later came the equivalent of the Egyptian prime minister. So he's like the prime minister of Egypt, and his brothers come to him because there's a famine. And he says this to them, from Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He saved the nation of Israel, and he was sold into slavery by those same people. That's reconciliation. But God did something. To be a reconciling force, we can't be evil. We must be good. Every good thing is mentioned in verse 6. It's this. It's for the sake of Jesus. As he reconciled us through the cross and through the resurrection, we need to be people that reconcile each other. God is a good God. He empowers his people through the Holy Spirit. It's not like you can do it on alone, but it might be as simple as saying these things. I hear you. I see you. I feel what you're going through. Maybe I can't understand because it didn't happen to me, but I can understand. People want to be valued. And what you're seeing in our country right now is people don't feel valued And violence begets violence. That's just what happens. Violence begets violence. It's not the answer to being valued. You you know, if you're not being valued, it's not to lash out against someone. Honestly, it's the exact opposite. There are all kinds of agendas in the world, but Jesus had one agenda, to reconcile humankind to the God of the universe. That was it. That That was the one thing he came to do. Paul is asking Philemon to see Onesimus different. And I think we need to see people different. He's not a slave, but a dear brother. And to put this in context in a way that makes everyone feel uncomfortable, because that's just what it is, things like saying, George Floyd was murdered, he is our brother. Why is that so offensive? He's a human being. Or, or Ahmaud Arbery was murdered, he's our brother. What, what is offensive about that? I, I, I mean, it's uncomfortable. But then, listen, Paul's saying the same thing here. Onesimus, the thief, the one that deserves to be killed, that was the penalty for running away and stealing from your master. He should be freed. He is your brother. That's the same thing. It's a radical and scandalous idea in Paul's time and now. Paul is asking for radical equality. Hear this. Radical equality. Because of Jesus, because Jesus is the king of an equal kingdom. There's not princes and paupers in his kingdom. There's not people that are rich and poor. We're all rich in Jesus. That's it. The church in Philemon that Philemon was a leader in knew this because it was the Colossian church. Colossians 3.11 makes it so clear. In this time, this would have been scandalous. And now we could insert other words here. So insert the words that you find the most offensive, like, well, this kind of person or that kind of person. Here... Here in the church there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. I don't think God looks at the church and says we're supposed to be one type of person that looks the same, that thinks the same, that acts the same, but we are supposed to be going to God's word. We might separate ourselves from this, because, because the distance uh, in Angola from what's happening, or because the color of our skin, but radical equality is something that affects us all. And it happens daily for me. I saw this quote and it rocked my world because I started realizing the things that come out of my mouth and the way I talk about people, no matter what it is, is either meant to divide or unify people. And I think we can actually think like that. So one author made this point, and this is the quote. I can almost guarantee that you feel superior to some other class or group of people, regardless of the reasons for that. It doesn't matter what the reasons are. Setting ourselves up as superior to others is standard operating procedure for sinful people. I read that, and I I got chills just now listening to that. Because we think that we're better than someone else or we think that we have something that it's not about causing ourselves to feel shame or someone else to feel shame. It's just the fact that we think we're better than someone. Like that's just, it's, we're going to do that if we're, if we're sinning, if we're, if we're sinful. One problem with that, and this is the big problem, is that we're all equally in need of grace from God. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past, you're still in the equal amount of grace the moment you declare or act in a way superior to another group or class of people, you've dealt in equally. You might be asking, Pastor John, how does this work here and now? And, and it starts with, maybe you look down on people because of what they're wearing. That's a start. Maybe you make comments about how someone acts in public or, or the language they use or the education they have. This is a simple but yet really funny one. Maybe it's when we compare Lakers to full-time residents, okay? Let's just be honest. Like, we know that's like, I mean, does God really care if someone just comes to the lake on the weekends or or during the summer or not? We have to deal equally as the church. It's so easy to lose that we all need grace and that God loves us and gives us grace equally. That's why Paul says to Philemon, about Onesimus, no longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. Let us not forget that. God doesn't look at externals. He looks at internals, our heart and our soul. And it's hard for us to do that, so that's why we have to ask the Holy Spirit, God, please give me wisdom today to understand the people that I come in contact with, what's in their hearts and their souls so I can help them and encourage them. We also can't ignore the fact that years of trauma that people have gone through. I used to work in social work and I tell you, the moment I saw kids do the most strange things. I mean just stuff that would have you like, "What?" like crazy things. But yet they had been had been inflicted upon them years of trauma. And so when you see one someone doing something that seems illogical, just remember that sometimes people have been through a lot of pain. It doesn't it doesn't make something right. It doesn't make violence right, but on some level, it does help you understand. And Paul doesn't ignore Onesimus that he was a slave, but encourages Philemon to free Onesimus. So get this, he doesn't ignore the status on earth, but he says, free him from that burden because guess what? He is free in Christ because in Christ we're reconciled to be free. Through the end of this passage, there's an encouragement of reconciliation. And if you'll follow along with me, it's verse 17 through 25. There's some greetings. There's some really big names here. I love reading big names on Sunday mornings because I try to practice it a little bit. But I'm going to stumble through these because I couldn't even get it it earlier. So if you consider me your partner, this is Paul, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, wrote this with my own hand. I will repay it. Say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. His point is, Philemon was led to Christ by Paul. Okay? Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will even do more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be given graciously, graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. My fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Welcome Onesimus as if it was me. Welcome the stranger as if it was me. Charge to me what is owed. Refresh my heart. Get a get a room ready. I'm hoping to come to see you. That's what it means to be a reconciler. It's simple, but yet, isn't that difficult because it's uncomfortable? What? Well, what if someone does? What? What if? What if? We deal with what ifs and we get lost in that rather than following what God calls us. My third point today is God's ministry through us is reconciliation. It's not anything else. We're trying to get people to understand that they need to be reconciled to God. Simple. Reconciled to God. And then our ministry is to reconcile others. Broken relationships in our world, I mean, we look around. How many of you, if you were honest with yourself, don't raise your hand because it'll be really awkward, have a family member that you need to talk to if you're thinking about reconciliation? And if, if I said that to you, I bet you most of your hands would go up. That is something that needs to happen because reconciliation means sometimes putting off your own preferences, putting those behind you, and putting others first. And that's what Paul does. Paul's in prison, willing to pay the debt of a thief, of a slave, a runaway slave, so that he can be freed. Paul's calling Philemon a partner, but Philemon would have thought this. Philemon would have thought Paul was a social superior, but Paul was saying they were equals. And I don't know. I mean, if I receive this letter and I'm Philemon, I'm like, whoa, 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 Paul. No, you, you've written all these letters to the church. You're dying for Jesus. And I'm just sitting here in, in Colossians. Like, I, I, I'm in the church. I'm not doing anything. Onesimus has the same value. He's an equal to Paul and Philemon. That's radical equality. It doesn't matter your skin color, what's in your bank account. That's radical equality. That's the power of the good news of Jesus. People have possessions and power. Guess what? They don't want a level playing field, right? I've never met someone that is extremely wealthy that does not have bodyguards or some type of security. Why do they have that? Because people want to take their stuff, and they don't want a level playing field. They have more to lose on this earth than, than, than the average person does. That is why the Beatitudes are here, and... and the Beatitudes are so beautiful when you think about reconciliation and relationships because if you're feeling a tug at your heart to reconcile with someone, just think about what the Beatitudes say in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. And I'm, I'm just going to read this to you now. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for those theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Rejoice and be glad, for for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you go through that list, I don't think it says, blessed are the comfortable. Blessed are those that that don't speak up when there's injustice. Blessed are those that really just, when the pastor says something and the word of God says something, gloss over it and pick what they want to believe. Blessed are those that, that, that decide they're going to, as my wife, would say, <laughs> my wife has said this to me before, you're a mooch. I'm like, I just ask. You know, why not ask for something? But it doesn't say blessed are those that ask for something. It actually says, blessed are the poor in spirit. How many of you, if you're really honest, want to be poor in spirit? How many of you want to be those who mourn? But yet, why are those the ones that are blessed? Blessed are the meek. We are not in a meek culture right now. Meek culture's like, well, we're going to be really soft, and we're going to care about everything that's going on, and we're not going to say anything offensive. And there is some of that, but guess what? It's really, honestly, everything's just kind of a back-and-forth offensive. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yeah, I can, I can get behind that. Okay. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. You notice it doesn't, doesn't say peacekeepers. You know, I always, I always read that, and I thought, peace makers which implies that we need to have a voice and we need to act on making peace that some is reconciliation in our own hearts towards others it says persecuted for righteousness sake those who are persecuted for their faith in jesus sounds like a group is that is really rich and powerful i mean really rich and powerful those poor in spirit people man that's like bill gates he's totally poor in spirit no It doesn't sound like that at all. God is with his people. No matter your status, your ethnicity, your education, your wealth, no matter what has happened to you in your life, he is with you. How hard it must have been for wealthy Philemon to associate with a poor, indebted slave in Onesimus. It was the first century. You act like that's so distant. People are people, and it's sin then and it's sin now. It just would have been. But in Christ, they were now family. And they couldn't carry on like they did before with this class status that the world really mattered. Onesimus didn't deserve to be reconciled. Simple as that, right? He broke the law. But Philemon also didn't deserve that Paul would pay the debts of Onesimus. So once grace starts, it's, un, it's unstoppable, and it changes the world. Reconciliation is the result. If you're gracious towards others and you give them the benefit of the doubt, what happens? Your relationships get better. They get so much better. There's so much that I could say about this. And honestly, I'm just really fired up about it because I feel like people have lost the fact that that peace and how we respond to people really matters. Not talking about something is not the way to go but actually looking at the Word of God and what it calls us to do. This is an opportunity in our world, whether it's uh, one fear-based thing to the next fear-based thing. If you've noticed, everything has been driven on fear. And I bet you Philemon was a little fearful because guess what? This letter was read to his whole church. You imagine this, the pressure that he felt Imagine if one of you, like, had this situation, and then all of a sudden, I'm Pastor John, and I'm like, oh, we've got this letter from Paul we're going to read. It's all about Philemon's dirty laundry. You know? Imagine that. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. People following Jesus are ministers of reconciliation. Reconciliation to God and reconciliation to each other. Where there is truth, there can be reconciliation. Reconciliation. That's another thing that we need to understand. If both sides are willing to reconcile, you ever have a moment where someone won't reconcile with you? Or they say false and evil things about you? What did it say in the Beatitudes? It's going to happen. But the reality is, our job and our responsibility is to do everything we can within our power and our control to reconcile to others. Radical equality. That's our goal. That is our goal. Radical equality is our goal. To do this... We need to examine our own lives and our communities for signs of ungrace. I'll call it ungrace. And that term is just the, exactly what it says. Is basically, it's a spirit of judgment about different things that maybe we shouldn't. Are there believers we refuse to be reconciled to? Someone hurt you. You know, I've been a pastor long enough to have people either from the church or another church or another place or, or a Christian somewhere hurt me. And I mean really hurt but I have learned there's no reason to hold on to not being reconciled to that person or even sharing with them the pain that I feel. Are there issues like racism and other biases that we refuse to talk about because our parents, our grandparents had a specific view on things? Or maybe we do. You know, I think the most uncomfortable thing that I've done this last week was talking to my six-year-old about racism last Sunday. And like, It was really hard. And I started realizing that we avoid topics like that. We avoid talking to our children about racism and inequality. Are you avoiding that? Are you avoiding talking to others about it? And you know, in a six-year-old heart, she was saddened by it. She was crying, she was emotional. She didn't understand, like, why would anyone do that? And she was trying to figure out, like, well, is it like this? And she's asking questions. And I'm thinking, Why hasn't this come up? I'm ashamed. Are we willing to be ministers of radical equality and reconciliation? Whatever it is. You know, instead of getting mad at people on the road, don't get angry. Just maybe they're having a bad day, and maybe they're just poor drivers, okay? We gotta accept them like that. Are there things that we refuse to talk about with anybody? And maybe, maybe we're not ministers of, of radical equality and reconciliation. If not, what actual difference has Jesus done in your life? Jesus received you as you are, a sinner. And then you were saved by grace through Jesus Christ. Isn't that the same story that you want for everyone else? Because you, yourself, have been changed and transformed. And you don't look at people by how they look, but you look at people like Jesus does, as children of God. This goes against everything in our nature, but it's what transformation looks like. You wake up in the morning and you want to define and control your space because the world is out of control. And so you're like, this is how people are, or this is... No! It's different. We need to embrace people as brothers and sisters, despite their class, their education, their ethnicity, their wealth, their background, how they talk... Radical equality is what Jesus came for. This is why Paul wrote this letter was Onesimus you are an equal to Philemon. And this is what transformation looks like and this is how we can have total reconciliation. It's through Jesus Christ because your life will be different. So what? What's the big deal? God's reconciling power is shown voluntarily. You can leave here and, you know, it's interesting. When you're a speaker, you get to see everyone's faces. So everyone is either smiling, nodding, looking at me like I have something on my shirt, you know, like just, you know, different looks. You can leave here and do nothing, and I have no control over that. But the Holy Spirit, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit changes your life in such a way that you decide to voluntarily do good be a good person and reconcile relationships in your world. Because his grace has the power to change any situation. So without being forced or compelled to, to speak and act, you should just do it. You know, that the most frustrating thing to someone that's a leader is when you're every step of the way, you have to tell the, the person that you're supervising or whatever, oh, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. And it's outside training, of course, training makes sense. When I was in social work, I remember the people that wouldn't last were the people that were like, how do I deal with the kids? They're like a deer in headlights when something happens. It's like you gotta leap into action. And this is a moment for us to leap into action and not like get stuck and freeze. Because God's ministry through us is reconciliation. That's what it is. You might hear me up here and think, well, there's a pastor and that's your job but no, it's not my job, it's everyone's job. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has an opportunity to speak up. And you know what? You might just need to listen too. You know, we talk a lot about speaking up about issues or acting on issues, but some of the actions are just listening. I can tell you some of the greatest moments in my life have been when I just listened and I talk too much. So they're, they're few and far between when I just listen and I hear the heart of someone else and what they've been through and what they're struggling with, God's ministry through us is reconciliation. And that's what I'm praying over the church. If you're watching online and you're at home, I'm praying over your family because that is what we need. There's no other way. There's nothing else. That's what Jesus is all about. There's anger, there's strife, and that comes from sin and there's fighting. and, and But yet... I don't see it anywhere in Paul's letters or in the Gospels or in the whole New Testament where we're not supposed to be ministers of reconciliation. And that might mean differently in Angola than it means in New York City. That might mean something different in Chicago or a big city. It might mean something different in Hamilton or Auburn or wherever. But it does mean something. And it does mean we need to act. And it does mean we need to listen. And it does mean we need to care. So, I just, I don't think any time that I've, I've preached about something, I've been so passionate about the fact that we need to be reconciled to God, and we need to be reconciled to each other. So, let me pray, and I would encourage you, as we continue to worship this morning, to praise God for that reconciliation that he's brought to you. And if that's not the case, I'm telling you today, if there's anything that would be a better decision in your life there isn't there isn't anything there isn't anything than reconciling your life to God through Jesus Christ so let's pray Heavenly Father we just come before you we just ask that as we we are here and we're in homes and we're, we're all over our area Steuben County God we just pray that you would do a mighty work in our hearts that you would change us no matter how, how much we know about Jesus or how little we know about Jesus, but we know that he is the one to reconcile us to God. There is no other way. And when we see violence in the world and destruction and anger and frustration, God, help us to not respond with that, but respond with peace and grace towards others. God, us separate us from, from what, what's happening in the world, Let us only fear you and not fear what we see happening around us. God, help us to be much like Paul was, fighting for radical equality that every human has. The value that we were made in the image of God, help us to see that and believe that and act on that. God, help your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and our souls this week to transform us to be ministers of reconciliation. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.